Hasbury Church. Today is week seven of the Home Improvement Series. Good morning, Hasbury Church. Today is week seven of the Home Improvement Series. And it's Father's Day! Father's Day! Happy Father's Day to me and all you fathers out there. Happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. So, what we thought would be a good idea today, because part of having a improved home, you want to be able to laugh together and have fun, and so I thought it would be appropriate because what's better for fun than dad jokes and such, so that we do some dad jokes. I got my daughter Alana with me here today. Kendra's behind the camera. Say hello. All right. So. Dad jokes, so this morning we've got some, and maybe if Pastor Dave tells some, we'll have like tons of jokes, it'll be awesome. So I'll start off here. You ready? What, why can't a nose be 12 inches long? Cause then it would be a foot. Ah, that's great, love that. All right, here you go, you do that one. How do you catch a unique squirrel? Unique up on it. I love that one, that's my favorite. Oh, how do you catch a tame squirrel? The tame way. The tame way. No, the tame way. All right, what do you call a factory that makes okay products? A satisfactory. That's good, huh? There you go. Where do you learn to make a banana split? I don't know, where? Sunday school. Sunday, that's a good church joke. All right. <laughs> what has more letters than the alphabet? The post office! This is awesome. What do you call someone with no body and no nose? I don't know. What do you call a person with no body and no nose? Nobody knows. Nobody knows. You're good at telling these jokes. What do you call it when a snowman throws a tantrum? A meltdown. I stole that from you. All right, there you go. And then we got one more. Why did Billy get fired from the banana factory? I don't know. He kept throwing away the bent ones. Last, but certainly not least, least, what do you call an elephant that doesn't matter? An irrelevant. So I hope you enjoyed all of those. I know Kendra did behind the camera. And a lot, isn't that awesome? I love that one. Um, but if you've missed any part of the Home Improvement Series, you can go to our website, asburyag.com, and just enjoy the day, keep laughing, and yeah, have a great, happy Father's Day. Happy Father's Day. How many think Pastor Dwayne looked a little sun-kissed there? <laughs> oh my goodness, he went to Zoom Tan. Today's Father's Day jokes are brought to you by Zoom Tan. All right, well, at this time, very quietly, the kids are dismissed for Kid Zone, so if you want to make your way over, they're going to have some fun over there. For everybody else sticking around, if you have your Bibles, turn with me, please, to Genesis chapter 26. And uh, we are continuing our series on home improvement. It tells us in Proverbs chapter 24, verses 3 and 4, that by wisdom a house is built and through understanding uh, it is established. Through knowledge, its rooms are filled with rare and beautiful treasures. And, and we just think that, you know what, we, we need God to bless and to work in our homes. And I know everybody wants to see improvement, and we've talked about a whole bunch of different areas. Last week, we talked about rebuilding the walls, and we talked how healthy boundaries are necessary for fam families to thrive. Well, today, we're going to talk about breaking the cycle, and I brought my own dad jokes this morning. 
Because how many know dad jokes are just, it's just necessary? Can I get a witness on this one? How many of you love dad jokes? How many love telling dad jokes? Okay, some of the dads do. How many, like Matthew's great. He's practicing to be a dad because he loves telling dad jokes. And at our home, somebody has been gracious enough for the last number of years to provide our family with dad jokes. And so we look at them every day. We love them so much that we actually keep them. After we're done, we put them back in the box. And so these are some dad jokes. They're a little old. They're from 2021. 20, uh, but uh, let me just read a couple of these with you. Um, uh, let me see. I'll do this one. You want to know what my superpower is? I have a superpower. I can cut down a tree just by looking at it. it it's true. I saw it with my own eyes. You got to love when it starts groaning. Uh, that's how you know it's a good one, right? I made, a, I made a bicycle by folding some paper in my desk drawer. It doesn't move, though. It's a stationary bike. You know, if I had to rate our solar system, I'd give it one star. Oh, come on. That one was funny. That was, Dwayne, like that one? Okay, two more, two more. And then we'll get, out, get past these. But, but this is just an FYI. We want to make sure that we're helping you. Uh, so if you are attacked by a mob of clowns, go for the juggler. <laughs> That's good. Okay, the last one. The last one. What chord do you get if you drop a piano down a mine shaft? A flat minor. That's a good one, right? You know, you, you got to love, you, you gotta love uh, dad jokes, right? It, it's, it's what my, my, uh, my, my dad, he tells jokes. My, my grandpa, I don't know how many cemeteries, when we drive past him, he would say, hey, Dave, just look. Everybody's waiting to die to get in there. He said that every time we went past the cemetery, I'm like, yeah, that's it. You know, but, but it's, it's interesting. Have you ever noticed the apple doesn't fall far from the tree? The apple doesn't fall, you know, and, and not only did I get my father's nose, ears, hairline, and his sense of humor, um, and, and it, it's, just, it's just kind of funny. It's just like, you, you look, it's like you, you see, you have those moments where you see your parent in the mirror. How many of you had that moment? You look in the mirror, and there maybe was your mom or your dad, and you were a little taken aback, or maybe you can hear your parents speaking through your own voice. And it's fun, because my kids like to joke every once in a while, and they're like, Dad, you sound like Grandpa. Dad, and so I get, I get to sound like Grandpa every, every once in a while. And the reason is, is because the apple doesn't fall far from uh, the tree. Now, now, sometimes that can be a positive thing, because how many of you have parents that have some pretty cool qualities? You're like, if I could be like my mom or my dad, I'd be happy, right? Good. Levita put her hand up because she's sitting next to her mom and dad. Um, I noticed Pastor Dwayne didn't put his hand up, but that's a different story. Um, but the truth is, is sometimes that not only, not only can the apple fall, fall far from the tree or not fall far from the tree regarding the good stuff, um, sometimes we can pick up habits and patterns of our parents that may not always be um, the best. And sometimes it can be a little bit uh, frustrating. You know, maybe you grew up and you're like going, you know, you didn't like it when your parents did such and such. And you may even have vowed never to be like them, but here you are, 
looking and sounding like your mother and father. And, and as we talk about home improvement today, the, the idea I want to think around, or, or, or the topic we're going to think around is, we're going to talk about breaking the cycle. And, and specifically, we want to talk about getting past the destructive patterns that limit and hurt our family's potential. And as we do, we're going to land on this really important idea. And that's simply this, that faith in Jesus makes new beginnings possible. And so we are going to look in Genesis chapter 26, verses 1 through 11, and I'm going to read it in just a moment. It's going to be a springboard for this idea of breaking the cycle. Now, this is part of the story of Isaac. Now, just so you remember, Isaac is the son of Abraham and Sarah. How do you remember the story of Abraham and Sarah? Remember, Abraham was, you know, God said, Abraham, leave your father, your mother, your homeland, leave your possessions, and go to the land that I show you. And you remember, he took a long walk. And when he got there, when he got to the land, God said, I will give you this land. And, and not only will I give you this land, but, but Abraham, I want you to look at the stars. And he looked up at the stars, and God says, listen, if you can count the number of stars, that's what your descendants are going to be like. They're going to be innumerous. And then he took him, he said, look at the sand, uh, you know, look at the sand, and, and your descendants will be like the sand on the seashore. And, and, and Abraham's heart was like, that is so amazing. God, that's what I want for me. But as you remember the story, it didn't always go as planned or as expected. And so there's that whole little side journey involving, you know, um, what Hagar and Ishmael but the angel one day just showed up and said, Abraham, I want you to understand that you are going to have descendants and it's not going to be through your maidservant. It's actually going to be through your wife, Sarah. Now, Sarah was old, past childbearing years, and uh, Sarah was kind of listening in on the conversation. And when she heard that she was going to have a baby at her age, it says she laughed. And just like going, good Lord, that, yeah. And I think she said something, am I at this age going to experience that joy? And she laughed, like, oh my goodness, really? Yeah, like not likely. And the angel said, hey, Sarah, why are you laughing? And she's like, I'm not laughing. And she's like, yeah, I didn't laugh. And yes, you, you laughed. But sure enough, a year later, Abraham and Sarah have a child. And you know what they name him? They name him, name him Isaac. And Isaac means... Laughter. It's this sense that, you know, how many know God has a sense of humor? If you don't believe me, look at the person you're sitting next to. No, I'm just kidding. Don't, don't do that, right? But, but he had this son named Isaac. And, and God says, listen, I am going to, my promise is going to be not just you, Abraham, but it's going to go through your son, Isaac. And, 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 and so the story begins to unfold. And, and sure enough, he ends up finding a wife. She's a beautiful woman. Her name is Rebecca. And there's this neat little story how God orchestrates this great match. Um, but then after a few years, both Abraham and Sarah die. And Isaac has to keep continuing the story. Now where our story is going to pick up is Isaac is going to... There's going to be stuff going on around them. And that is there is going to be a famine in the land. There's not going to be the resource. There's not going to be the abundance. There's not going to be flourishing. And I think this is a really interesting story. Um, and this is how it goes. And then we're going to read from Genesis 26, 1 through 11. And it says this, now there was a famine in the land 
besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the, Phil of the Philistines in Gerar. And God appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while, and I will be with you, and I will bless you. For to you and your descendants I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. When the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister. Because he was afraid to say, she is my wife. And he thought, the, the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebekah because she is beautiful. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked down from a window and saw Isaac canoodling, or caressing, I think canoodling sounds better, canoodling with his wife, Rebekah. So Abimelech summoned Isaac and said, she is really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? And Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. I think this is a fun story. For those who have read Genesis and know a little bit about the story of Abraham, you'll notice that this account sounds familiar. And the reason it's familiar is because it's something that happened to his dad, not once, but twice. Where Abraham was in a setting where all of a sudden there was this, this sense of, oh my goodness, Sarah's so beautiful, and uh, if, if I'm not careful, they'll kill me and take her as the prize. Now, because he was dealing in, this, in these different lands, part of the way it worked is the way you developed uh, alliances is it would often happen through marriage. And so if you wanted to develop an alliance with someone, often what would end up happening is there would be a marriage involved, and, and that would end up protecting the family because... It's going to be your father-in-law or your brother-in-law. And so they got this great plan, both, both Isaac, and it's something he learned from his dad, is, hey, I'll go in and instead of saying she's my wife, I'll just say, you know what? She's my sister. You see, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. I want to note something in this passage just kind of as we talk about breaking the cycle. And that's this, and we see this in Isaac's life, and I think we often see this in our own lives. That in unsettling moments, we have a tendency to act out of our history. That in unsettling, unsettling moments, we have a tendency to act out of our history. Now, it, it is said we are the product of both nature and nurture. We say we are, we are designed by God and shaped by experiences. 
That, that when it comes to your life and mine and to all lives, how many know that, that, that God's hand is involved in the shaping of who we are? We got four kids. All four of them came out different. Like they got different personalities and, and different ways they interact with the world, that they are uniquely shaped by God. And they are made with purpose or on purpose, and they're also made for purpose. And that is, is that God has shaped us and shaped every individual on purpose. You're not a mistake. You know, you, you may have surprised your mom and dad. You didn't surprise God. That, that God has made us on purpose, and God has made us with purpose. Now, I don't know about you, but you have, have you ever had those moments where you look at something about who you are, and you're like going, I don't like that about me. I want you to know God knew what he was doing when he made you. But not only that, not only are we shaped or designed by God, but we're also shaped by our environments. Like when we grow up, we, we, we grow up and, and the stuff that we grow up in, there, there's this sense that we have, well, this is normal. This is just what is. How many of you ever grew up and you look back and you're like, boy, we grew up poor, but it was just normal. You didn't think you were poor. It was just it's what we did, right? Because it was, it was normal for us. And, and growing up in, in, in the environments and the households that we're a part of, um, it, it's often just, we just consider it normal. And as beings, as human beings, one of the things that we begin to do is we actually begin to reflect the patterns that we see in the environments that we're shaped in. Now, this is talked about as referencing. That one of the things that your kids do to understand how to respond and react to things, they actually look to their parents. So there's been some fun experiments on this. Like, for example, um, let me tell you a story. So our family one time went on vacation. How many love going on vacation? And I scoured the internet, and I found a cabin in the Adirondacks. It was listed as a rustic cabin. There's no internet, there's no cell service, and, and just down the back, it's on a lake, and there's a rowboat for fishing. How many know that just sounds nice? Okay, that's what I like. And I was like, we're doing this as a family rustic cabin. And so we drove out there, and the first morning we got up, like I let Rachel sleep in, and I got up, and I was like gonna be the, you know, the good husband, and I was gonna make the coffee. And I go down into the kitchen, and there on the white counters are little black sprinkles. And I said to myself, oh no, those are mouse droppings. And so I did something that is totally out of character for me. I cleaned the kitchen. I was like going, you know what, this is not going to be a vacation if Rachel knows there are mice here. And so I made sure all the food was, you know, closed. And then I got out, like, soapy water, and I'm washing all the counters, and Rachel comes down, and she's like going, oh my goodness, why is everything so clean and clean smelling? And I was trying not to lie, but I didn't. I said, well, there may have been mouse droppings. I cannot go up. Well, that evening, we're sitting on this couch, I remember, because it had this little fireplace with stone back. It was so beautiful. And there, there we are watching 
on my computer, because I brought that so we could watch movies as a family, the small thing, and all of a sudden, a mouse ran across the floor. And my wife, you may not know this about Rachel, but she is not a friend of mice. And so she screamed and pulled her feet back, right? And she got off, and we watched as the mouse scurried across the floor, ran up the rocks where the fireplace was, and then hid in the open rafters. And there was that tense quiet. What do we do? And then every once in a while, we'd look up, and out of that cavity of that rafter, there would be this little nose and beady eyes that would look out and then sneak back in. And look out and look in, and my wife is like, this is not good. And I'm like, honey, I got this. And so the fireplace had some wood next to it, and so I grabbed a piece of wood, and I said, everybody sit still on the couch, sit quiet. And we did. And the eyes and nose came out, and then it decided, I will walk down the fireplace. And so it started coming down. And when it was halfway, I jumped up and wham! And I hit it. And I killed it. It would be wonderful if there was only one mouse. <laughs> the next day, like I think we ended up killing five or six mice. Okay, so Rachel, she's just like, oh, but it was so fun because for my children, it became a sport. And so every time there was a mouse, Rachel's on the table, and then Jonathan and Samantha and Emily were all grabbing wood, running around the house trying to bless little mice. Now, what happens as beings is when unexpected things happen as children, we actually look to our parents to know how to respond. And so sometimes what happens if, if parents respond a certain way, kids go, oh, this is the way we respond in this kind of environment. And the reality is, is that for many of us, there have been aspects of the family life that we are part of growing up that when it came to dealing with different situations, we learned a whole bunch of patterns. Like we watched as, as, as all of a sudden there would be something unsettling sometimes between our mother and our dad and, and all of a sudden they would start fighting. And sometimes one would just say, you know what, I'm not even going to engage in this. And the moment there was conflict, they're like, I am just walking away. And for some, that even now as adults, when it comes to difficult moments, there's that part of you because you have been referenced or you saw how your parents did it. You're like, oh, you know what? It's not comfortable. I'm just going to walk away. Others, dissonance happens, and all of a sudden, the volume goes up. Anybody here been in a household where when there's conflict, the volume raises? Because that's what mom and dad did. And so when there's conflict, this is what you do. Sometimes we throw things. Sometimes we yell and say things. And, and what happens is as beings, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. 
And part of this whole idea, how do you begin to improve your home? Well, part of improving your home is recognizing there are things in our lives, there are patterns that are a part of the way that we interact within family that actually need to be broken. The reality is, is when conflict is in the home, yelling, name-calling, throwing things, walking away saying, I'm not even going to deal with this. Those are all unhelpful strategies for actually improving the home. But the challenge is this, is that, you know what? This is what we grew up with. This is what we learned. And all we're doing is when there's an unsettled moment, we begin to act out of our history. And often we end up repeating the patterns that we have learned from the households that we were a part of. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the story of the ham, right? How a young girl was watching her mother bake a ham for a family gathering, and she noticed her mom cutting the ends off the ham and placing it in the oven and she simply asked her mom, Mom, why do we cut the ends, why do you cut the ends off the ham before baking? And the mother thought about it for a moment and said, Oh, it, it, I think it helps soak up the juices while it's baking, but, but I'm not sure, though. That, that's just the way your grandma always did it. So, so I always just cut off the ends. Why don't you ask grandma? Why don't you call grandma and ask her? So the little girl phoned her grandma and, and said, Grandma, mom's making a ham and she cuts off the ends before placing it in the oven and she said it's probably so that it helps soak up the juices but she wasn't quite sure she said you'd know because you learned how to cook from she learned how to cook from you she's like well that's true i do cut off the ends of the ham before baking but i'm not sure why either i learned how to cook from my mom you should ask her so the inquisitive little girl called her great-grandma and asked, Great-grandma, Mom and Grandma said they learned how to cook a ham from watching you. Do you cut off the ends of the ham so it helps soak up the juice? And the great-grandmother chuckled and she said, Oh, no, sweetie. I just never had a pan big enough to hold a whole ham, so I always had to cut off the ends to make it fit. And see, it's a funny little story, but, but the reality is, is, is we, we learn things and we just keep doing things. And, and, and this, is, this, is, this is my heart. God wants our homes and families to improve. And part of that means is, you know what? There are some things that have to be broken because the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. Romans 12, 2 says this. Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your minds. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Do not conform any longer to the patterns of this world. And one of the things, if we're going to improve our homes, is there are some patterns that have to change. And this is where I think the gospel is so important for you and for me. The, the message of the gospel really is the message of hope. And this is what it simply means. It means that in Christ, 
we have the opportunity to break the cycle. That in and through the message of Jesus Christ, you and I have the opportunity to break the cycle. I love what it says in Romans 1.16. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, for it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. Everybody say power of God. Okay, it's the power of God and it brings salvation. And just so you know, salvation means a couple things. It means rescue and it means restoration. That, that part of what the gospel does, the power of the gospel is that it rescues us. And in rescuing us, faith in Christ breaks the power of sin in our lives. Because what we end up doing is we end up sharing in His triumph over sin and death. Listen what it says in Romans chapter 6, verses 17 and 18. Paul's writing, But thanks be to God that though you used to be slaves to sin, and the idea of slaves to sin is, is, is that in, in Paul's day, if you were a slave, you had to. Like, it wasn't an option. If, if you were told, go clean, or go, go fix this, or, or go do that, it wasn't optional. You had to do it. And Paul's like, listen, when you're a slave to sin, like when, 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 you, are, when you are in that sinful condition apart from God, there's a part where it's, it's not about an option. It's just like you're compelled to do it. Yet when we come to faith in Christ, as Paul writes, he says, though you used to be slaves to sin, you have come to obey from your heart the pattern of teaching that has now claimed your allegiance. And you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to righteousness. You have been set free from sin. I want to tell you about what it is the gospel does for you and me. Not only do we find separation from our past, Right? And the way I talk about it around here is this, is that, you know what, because of the grace of Jesus, we don't have to be defined by our history. How many got history you just, you're glad you don't have to be defined by? Okay? And what the gospel does is it makes it so that our lives don't have to be defined by our past, by our worst day, our worst moment, by, by, the, by our rebellion against God. Instead, our lives get to be defined by His love and grace toward us. But it's not just about being defined. It's also being separated that what the gospel of Jesus does in our lives is it fundamentally breaks the power of sin in your life and mine so that we don't have to do what we think we have to do. That means we don't have to respond, in, 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 respond from our hurt. We, we don't have to respond from our history. We, we don't have to do the things that undermine and destroy not just our own selves, but, the, but other people. The grace of Jesus sets us free. And this is why in Christ Jesus we have this incredible hope incredible hope because what he does is he not only forgives us our sins, he says, listen, I want to set you free so that you may live the life you were created for. Because God has made us with purpose and for purpose. And so what the gospel does is it sets us free. And not only does it set us free, but it begins to restore us. And all of a sudden, we can begin to, we are enabled and empowered to live the life that we are created for. 
So this is what it says in 2 Corinthians 5.17. If anyone is in Christ, and by in Christ meaning anyone who has put their faith in Jesus saying, you know what, you're my Lord, I'm going to live a life that is patterned after you. I believe that you came and you died on the cross to pay the penalty for sins. Anyone who is in Christ, listen to this, is a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. That in Christ we have the opportunity to break the cycle. That all of a sudden, just because we have a history doesn't mean we have to keep repeating it. Even though there may be a family dynamic that seems to run through the generations, we don't have to keep living in it. Because in Christ we are new creations. And additionally, not only does he, he, he forgive us our sins, break the power of sins, but now he says, listen, I am going to put my spirit in you. So I'm going to empower you so that you can do everything that you were called and created to do. This is why Paul will write in Romans chapter 8 that if the same spirit who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. What Jesus does... He breaks the power of sin. He forgives us, breaks the power of sin, and then empowers us with His Spirit so that we can live new. You see, because of Jesus, we are not doomed to repeat the errors of our ancestors because of the victory of our Savior. I want to say that again. We are not doomed to repeat the errors of our ancestors. Because of the victory of Jesus. This is why I said, faith in Jesus makes new beginning possible. Do you know what that means? It means in this, in a sense, that we actually begin a new family tree. That because of Christ, there is a new beginning that can take place. So how do we begin to break the cycle? How do we begin to break the cycle so that we can actually not keep repeating our history in our setting? First thing I think we need to do is we need to ask for help. How many of you are not very good at asking for help? Come on now. How many of you, I got myself into this problem, I can get myself out of this problem, right? Those are the prideful people, right? I, no, I got myself into this fix. I can get myself out of it. It's, it's my obligation. I caused this mess. I'll clean up this mess. Listen, I want you to understand that the mess that's a part of your life and mine is far bigger than anything we can do to remedy it. Okay, so just picture yourself dropped in the middle of the Pacific Ocean. How many think that'd be a little bit of a mess? How many of you getting out of that one on your own? All right, I'll just swim. 
I got myself in this mess, I can get myself out of it. How many know swimming, you ain't going to get out of it? Could, could you imagine if a boat pulled up alongside you as you are bobbing there in the middle of the Pacific Ocean, and they're like going, hey, I'd love to help you. And you're like going, no, I got this. I got myself into this mess. I will get myself out of this mess. Okay. That's the degree of foolishness that people think or that people have when they think, I created the mess I'm in. I can get myself out of it. We are completely powerless to get ourselves out of the mess we're in. And that's why Jesus came. He came to offer you and me an opportunity for us to experience transformed lives. And for that to take place, all we have to do is ask for help. Too many times we try to break the power of sin through our own effort, and all it does is lead to frustration and disappointment. And ultimately, we need a power greater than ourselves. And this is why Jesus continually offers us His grace. Asking for help, you'll find out, is not a one-off. It is a way we live. It's about being in the place where you're saying, God, I just need your help. God, I need your help to be a better husband. God, I need your help to be a better dad. God, I need your help to, to, to make it through today. God, as I'm wrestling with these financial decisions or these physical decisions or, or whatever I'm wrestling with, God, I need your help. Beginning to ask God begins to break the cycle. Not only that, we have to grow our faith. We have to deepen our walk with Jesus. Because when we walk with Jesus, we begin to manifest His life. And I think that the way we grow our faith like, at the, at the root of it is simply this, learning to love Jesus more. Sometimes we think, you know what, if, if I'm going to grow in my faith, then what I need to do is I need this activity, this activity, this activity, and this activity. And yes, those can be helpful. But right at the core of growing our faith is learning to love Jesus. Where we love Him so much that we just want to be with Him. Where we love Him so much that we want to hear what He has to say. Where we love Him so much that we're compelled to do what He says. You want to begin to change the dynamic of your home. If you want to begin to break the cycle, begin to love Jesus more. The third thing we need to do if we're going to break the cycle is we need to develop a sensitivity to the Holy Spirit. Again, Christ has set us free, broken the power of sin, and then given us His Spirit to empower us. Yet the Spirit's work in us does not override our will or our decision-making. Wouldn't it be great if God did everything for us? But that's not how it works. He's looking for us to partner with Him. And in order to partner with Him, we actually have to become sensitive to the Spirit of God within us. Have you ever had those moments where all of a sudden you're about to say something and there's something in you that says, don't say it? How many have had those moments? You're about to do something, there's, a, there's that voice in you saying, don't do it. Listen, God put His Spirit in you to help, to help you do life better. 
Paul will say this in Romans 8, 26, that the Spirit helps us in our weakness. And, and when we become sensitive to the Spirit, we actually become more aware of His nearness, and all of a sudden, it begins to affect the decisions and the responses, our reactions to the situations we're in. One of the reasons I think we need to be sensitive to the Spirit is so that we don't miss the exit. How many are grateful for GPS? Okay, so we just drove to Iowa and back, and we plug in the directions, and, and it starts us going where we need to go. But how many know if you're not paying attention to the GPS, it ain't going to steer the car, right? And sometimes you can miss the exit simply because you weren't paying attention. Okay, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 10, 13. I love this verse. No temptation has seized you except what is common to man. Meaning the things that you wrestle with they're a part of humanity. Your stresses may be unique because they involve you, but they are not unique to humanity. So no temptation, as you've experienced, as it goes on to say, no temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And this is the amazing next part. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. Did you know every temptation you face, God knows that with his help you can overcome it? Have you ever been in those moments like going, I can't, I can't get over this, I can't do this. Listen, God has put his spirit in you and any temptation you face, through his grace you can actually overcome. Because he is faithful. He's not dangling you out there and saying, okay, let's watch him fall. He's like, listen... I know there's going to be adversity and there's going to be tough moments, but you can overcome them because my spirit is in you. He says, he will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. And then this next part is awesome too. But when, everybody say when. Not if you are tempted, but when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. So for every temptation that you encounter, do you know what God is providing for you as his child? A way out. He's providing an exit so you don't have to keep going. The problem is this, is that if we are not sensitive to the Holy Spirit's moving and stirring in our lives, you know what we sometimes do? We miss the exit. You know what I have found sometimes? There comes a point when you run out of exits. Does that make sense? But God says, listen, I want you, I want you, I want your family to thrive. I want you to know the life that I have created you for. And I want to break the cycle in your life. And for that to happen, we have to ask for help. We need to love Jesus more. We need to grow in our faith by loving Him and becoming sensitive to His Spirit because when we do, He gives us a way by which we can overcome. The last thing I would note too is we actually also have to develop better strategies in advance of our struggles. How many know that there are areas in our lives where we just know we're going to struggle? 
right? You put, me, you put me in this situation, and all of a sudden, you know, I'm not agreeing with my sweetheart, and she's not agreeing with me, and I know exactly how this sucker's going to go. For some, it's like I am just going to pop, I'm going to blow, and I'm going to say stuff that I'm going to come back and go, oh, man, I wish I wouldn't have said that. Others may be, you know what, we're just going to ignore this. I'm just going to walk away. You know how you respond in unsettled moments. And part of it is, okay, so what is your strategy to deal when those moments happen? How many know they're going to happen? And if you can have a strategy in advance, it can kind of help. So, so a couple things to do in order to develop better strategies. One, I would just simply do this, is learn to pra uh, practice pausing. You have to practice pausing. This is one I keep working on. It's practice because I haven't learned this one completely yet. How many know just because you have a thought doesn't mean it should be spoken? Can I get a witness now? Because how many know there's no situation so bad you can't open your mouth and make it worse? And what we have to do is, with those words that will be right there, what do we have to do? Pause. Because rather than reacting to our situations, we have to learn to respond to them in a way that honors God and enables us to live His purpose. Practice pausing. Another way to develop better strategies is also to find godly mentors. You don't have to reinvent the wheel. You're not the only one who struggles with some of the things you're struggling with. There, there are people that can come alongside you to encourage and help you. And sometimes what we need in our life are godly mentors who can help us figure out how do we, how do we talk through the conflict? How do, we, how do we begin to get our finances together? How do we be, because part of what God wants to do is He wants to give us freedom to live the purpose He has for us. You see, faith in Jesus makes new beginnings possible. And my prayer is, God, would you help break the cycle? Lord, would you help break the cycle so that we're just not acting out of the patterns that we learned and developed from the places we grew up? Again, in unsettling moments, we have a tendency to act out of our history. That's our tendency. Yet with Christ, we have the opportunity to break the cycle. It is the gospel of Jesus that enables us to experience improvement in our homes. His triumph frees us from the power of sin, and the gift of the Holy Spirit empowers us to live God's purpose. And in so doing, we get to establish new family trees. Wouldn't it be great if our kids didn't have to deal with the same issues that we dealt with? Like, I, I know we often think, boy, I want my kids to have this, 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 like, and, and we think about toys and pleasures and all these different things or experiences, but, but wouldn't it just be great so that my kids just don't have that natural pattern where they're just... Um, where they have learned or they have seen modeled that when conflict happens, there's not yelling and shouting and throwing. But there's actually a, an opportunity for people to, to come together and talk and discuss and, and to have different ideas and opinions, but to love one another well through difficult times. Wouldn't it be amazing if our kids didn't have to 
overcome the patterns that we wrestle with. Wouldn't it be awesome? Because that's the gift that Jesus gives us. And I have watched the grace of God play out and bring change to families, to free them from stuff that, that you know what, it's not a part of some families anymore. I, 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 know, I know a person who grew up in the midst of incredible abuse and um, just terrible name-calling, terrible stuff. And they became a parent. And all the junk that was a part of this person's home life was not a part of their parenting strategy. Because of Jesus, the cycle can be broken. We don't have to be doomed to live from our ancestry, from the failures of the past. Christ gives us the ability to live new. So, Father, we just thank you for your love and your grace, and we're inviting you, Lord, into our lives to break the cycle. Lord, we need you. Lord, as we think about our own upbringing, as, as we think about the, 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 the moments of tension, the, the way we wrestle with issues, and, God, how they reflect or what we grew up with, Lord, we're asking grace to break cycles so that, Lord, our homes might improve, that they might flourish, that, that Lord, every, the, the relationship between husband and wife, between parent and child, between grandparents and their grandkids, that, Lord, you would do a work of healing and grace. I thank you for the gospel that changes things, that breaks the power of sin, and sets us free that we might know the, the, the favor and strength of God that we might live for your purpose and honor. And just while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, how many would just simply say, you know what, there, there are some cycles that need to be broken in my heart, in my life. Maybe there's some patterns that you're just like going, you know what, I, I, it could be from things you learned growing up at home, uh, it could be manifesting in different ways. And you're saying, you know what, I, I just need God's grace to begin to break things that I might experience newness. If that's you, would you just raise your hand because I want to pray with you. See those hands and those ones. Lord Jesus, you see every hand. Lord, you see every heart and you care so deeply about each person. And Father, I thank you for grace that meets us in this moment to begin to bring about transformation and grace. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would forgive us our sins, that, Lord, we would know and stand on your word that declares that as we put our faith in you, not only do we find forgiveness, but the power of sin is broken. That, Lord, we are recipients of your spirit that enables and empowers us to live beyond the patterns of the past. And so, Lord, we're asking that you would help us begin again, to begin new, that, Lord, we might know your life, your grace, and your flourishing. And we thank you for this in Jesus' name. Amen.